If you're able, comfortably able, if you'd remain standing to honor God's Word. This morning we are nearing the end of a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. We are up to the Ninth Commandment uh, this morning. Uh, Thou shalt not bear, you shall not bear false witness against the neighbor. And as we have done during this series on the second half of the Ten Commandments, we've been looking at and reading and, and praying through Jesus' interpretations of each of these commandments. And today we find his words in Matthew 5. This is his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is its, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Charlie and Martha Shedd were Presbyterian pastors, and they were wonderful writers. They wrote, and teachers, they, they wrote a lot about Christian marriage and raising uh, Christian children. Uh, they had a wonderfully, deeply open and honest uh, relationship, but it was always in the context of love. Charlie said the single most memorable letter he ever received from Martha was one he received when they were in the middle of a very big fight. She wrote these words, Dear Charlie, I hate you. Love, Martha. <laughs> Today we are talking about speaking the truth in love. Let us pray. Oh God, we humbly ask during these moments, that your Spirit would be our teacher and speak to our hearts and our minds. And may we be doers of the Word after we hear this Word. And may we be empowered by your Spirit and encouraged by the example of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Today we come to the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against the neighbor. We've been talking about how the first tablet of the Ten Commandments was about our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods. Before me you shall not worship an idol. And then this second tablet is about how we love and care for the neighbor. Now, the Hebrew word translated as false, as in false witness, also carries the connotation of vain or worthless. We are commanded to not speak wrong, which would be false words or lying uh, against the neighbor, but also empty words, empty vain speech that is meant to improve ourselves at the expense of the neighbor. Now, this commandment is the one that names the neighbor specifically. You shall not bear false witness against the neighbor. Why? Well, we have to re be reminded that the commandments were given to a specific community. It was given to the, to the Hebrews 
to the Hebrew people. And God was instructing them, saying, now that you've formed, now that I've brought you out of the land of slavery, now that I've promised to give you a future, here's how we're going to live. Here's how I want you to live. And it's more than that. It's a gift. If you live this way, you will flourish. You will find joy. The law is always to be seen as a gracious, wonderful gift given to us. So how do we love and care for the neighbor? God is saying to be a healthy, functioning community where people are happy and living fulfilled lives, that community has got to be based upon truthful words which build trust. The absence of truthful words destroys the foundation of any community, any family, any friendship, any civil society. Now, words are also actions. Words affect people as actions do. Statements should not only be evaluated by what they say, but also by what they do or what they intend to do. Tim Keller gives the example. He says, if you look at someone and you, and you say to them, you know, that is a gorgeous outfit. You look fabulous. If you make that statement, that is a gorgeous outfit. You, you look fabulous. Now, that may be true. That you can say that as a truthful statement. <clears throat> but we have to ask questions about that. Is that statement meant and, or, and designed to uh, affirm and build up a hurting person so that they will appreciate me more? Is it self-serving? Um, is it meant to seduce a needy person into my orbit? See, these statements, how we say them, our motive behind saying them is vitally important. Do you remember the, maybe my favorite TV commercial of all time? It had Honest Abe. You remember Abe Lincoln? Honest Abe never told a lie. Remember these things? And, and Martha Lincoln says to him, you know, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> and there's this tension that builds. And what is Honest Abe going to say? It's the classic trap. And finally he just goes like this a little bit. And you, you're left to think about what's going to happen. Our neighbor does not only need for you to not tell lies, your neighbor, your neighbor desperately, your family desperately needs you not to tell lies. Of course they need that. But it's not enough to simply give factual statements, factually true statements, so that you can say, well, I never lied. Your neighbor needs to never have you use factual statements in a misleading way to advantage yourself which, if we do that, it'll harm them eventually in our relationships. Can you report to investors that in a way that technically tells the truth, but says so in a way that's misleading? You bet. Absolutely. Can you advertise a product that te technically has factual information, but doesn't tell the whole story? <clears throat> I'm mindful of the ubiquitous pharmaceutical ads that we see constantly in our society. They tell you about all the wonderful benefits and you see people dancing and flowers and happy and their life has been transformed. Everything's good. And at the end, have you noticed they, they say the side effects real fast so you can't really hear what they're saying? That's a lie. That's misleading. And it's all around us. We hear it constantly. It's almost comical if you stop and think about it. But it leaves us all fragile. 
It leaves us all wondering, well, what is true? Who can I trust ultimately? During my 25 years as a pastor, and this is true of maybe all of our pastors, but we have been pastoring in a season where the Presbyterian church, it's not just Presbyterians, but we have been arguing and debating about sexuality for our entire time. It started for me when I was in seminary, and this is the season in the life of 2,000 years of the church where we've really been debating sexual issues. And it tears us apart. Uh, it tears the church apart. And it's, I've just kind of resigned that this is kind of going to be the issue that it hasn't always been this way in the church. The church hasn't done this with this issue, but it has been during our season. Years ago, in a congregational meeting, it became a subject of debate, and I was moderating the meeting as we were debating back and forth. And I'll never forget, a woman raised her hand, and she said these words, We need to change our views on sexuality because younger people will not come to church if they find out what we believe. Now, that actually was a chorus of people making that argument. Not just in that meeting, but across the church. That was the argument that was being made. Um, They don't agree, younger people, they will not go along with what we believe. And I often think about that statement. She, she was unknowingly, what she was really saying was, it's okay not to tell the truth if it will bring people in the door. Results, therefore, matter more than what's true. And if we're not telling the whole truth, we could be hurting the neighbor. The truth needs to be heard by everyone. If it's God's truth, it's meant for us to have good relationships and to flourish. We should never, ever abandon the truth. Lying or withholding truth undermines society. It undermines the church. It undermines family. A society cannot function without trust and truth-telling. Any community can. And yes, speaking the truth as God intended it, as Jesus affirms it, can be costly. Right now in Russia, people are, given, are being given 15 years in prison for telling the truth about the war. Think about that. 15 years in prison for just uttering the words, there's a war going on. For telling the truth. But right now in our society, and I've been mindful of this because I've been praying over this text and I've been listening to it all week and these Ten Commandments. I I heard all of these statements because I was listening close. You heard them too. Well, you know, you can't trust the government. Um, You can't trust Big Pharma. Can't trust them. You can't trust the media. You can't trust social media. I mean, the list is long. We, we don't even realize how much we're saying this. Well, you know, you can't trust. Fill in the blank. This was not the way God designed us to live. He wanted a community, a nation, a family, a church, where we could have words that were spoken that we could trust, that we could 
know that this comes from a, a, a good motive. And when I know what you're saying is true and I'm speaking truthful, then we have this relationship that can actually begin to flourish. But there's more to this issue. Now, let me go back to the issue I brought up of sexuality one more time. What if the church does tell the truth about sexual issues, but it says it in a way that shames people, hurts people, condemns people because of their orientation or because of their past or because of their mistakes? What if through our speech on these issues, we talk in a way that Jesus would never talk? That's bearing false witness. That is an absolute lie. We know that from the scriptures. Jesus did not talk to people that way. The church has done a real big disservice to the community because we've spoken about these issues in terrible ways, condemning ways, stone-throwing ways. We've, we've hurt people through our speech. We may have thought in our minds, well, but we're speaking the truth here. But in actuality, if people have been leaving thinking, I'm not in the image of God. I'm less than. I maybe can't be forgiven because our speech has been so harsh and it's been condemning. It hasn't been spoken in love. Our speech should always, whenever we're telling the truth, it ought to be spoken in loving ways, in humble ways, not condemning ways or shaming ways. It should be full of compassion. It should be full of grace always because Jesus modeled that for us so well. Jesus interpreted this command by saying, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. I want to share with you a paraphrase of what Jesus said about his interpretation. He says, and don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it, or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. And making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Is there any of that going on in our world right now? <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious how often we are receiving words that are meant to manipulate, that are meant to hide or shade the truth. And every time we do it, every time we receive it, it hurts us, it hurts the neighbor. And so Jesus is teaching, he's saying, just say what you mean, be very, very clear, be, be honest. If you're going to do something, follow through, say, yes, I will do that. If you can't do it, say, no, I cannot do that. He wants families to be built this way. It's healthy. If your teenage daughter is acting up and, and she's really becoming a problem and you don't want to hurt her feelings, so you never say anything, that is lying to her. What she needs is for someone to say, what your behavior is wrong. And if we sidestep that down the road, she's going to have relationship problem, relationship problem over and over and over again. Speaking the truth can be hard, but it can also, if you do it in love, can be a gift to folks, to our neighbors, to our families, and in our church. 
Now, Jesus is talking about being truthful in general, being a person who's yes and no mean just that. But he's also, about te- he's also talking about keeping our promises in particular. The occasion when Jesus was talking was about swearing and taking vows and oaths, which really have to do with promises. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were experts in using the law to their advantage. They had a really great way of circumventing the law. They had, um, in the Mishnah, the oral traditions of the rabbis, they had an entire section devoted to the subject of vows. Which vows were legally binding, which ones weren't, which vows were the most binding, which ones carried the least legal weight. The Jews in Jesus' day would swear by all kinds of things in their dealings, in their transactions. They would, they would say, well, I swear by gold. I swear by earth. My favorite, I swear by my beard, they would say. Um, I swear by the temple, or I swear by God, or I swear by heaven. So that was the language around all kinds of interactions and, and transactions. They'd say, well, but I swear by this. But some of those were not legally binding. And it got very, very confusing. And it became hurtful to people when your word really didn't have any meaning. Um, It created a culture of dishonesty, a system of manipulation, semantics, and it rings very, very true in our world today. We may not be doing vows the same way, but we make lots of promises. We are being told in our society a lot of promises, the things that people will do, and we've been hurt. We've been misled. We've been taken down the wrong road. Jesus says, let your yes be yes. And people try and make this passage about vows say a lot of different things. Some people say, well, as Christians, then we should never swear in a Bible or we should never ever take an oath. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. The vow isn't the thing. Integrity is the thing. Honesty and integrity. And then following through on what we say. Say what you mean, do what you say. This is what Jesus is telling his followers, and it makes sense. I mean, the the truth is, every time I speak, every time you speak, we are in a court of law. All of our words. We don't have to make vows like this. Why? Because God is right here. (laughs) He's listening to everything I say. I don't have to, with a megaphone, announce, okay, God, this one, this is important. I'm making a vow. (laughs) He hears everything. Vows are kind of silly if you think about it. If he's listening to all speech, he's judging all speech. And that's, that's the truth. Jesus wants us to be trustworthy people. He wants to be able to have a community where we're all trusting. What if there were a group of people on this planet who could actually be trusted? who could actually be trusted. Their word was their word. They didn't have to swear. They didn't have to promise or make people believe them. They were just honest, not some of the time, all of the time. What would happen if a community of people, of a church, decided to do that? Well, eventually they'd earn people's trust. They would earn people's confidence. They'd earn the right to be heard. And if that happened, then we could share the incredible life-changing message of the gospel. And we know this to be true. We want other people to know it's true, but if they can't trust me, they're not going to trust the message, plain and simple. If they can't trust my motives, they're not going to believe my message, and that's why we have to live into this. 
Jesus says that every time you and I speak the truth about who we are, every time you and I are honest about our situation, he says, every time we repent and confess our sins, Jesus says they throw a party in heaven. And there's laughter and clapping and celebration. Think about that. You know what the most truthful word you and I can say? I mean, if we really want to speak honest words, it's when you and I say, that's my fault, I did it, I was wrong, I am sorry. And Jesus made this remarkable statement, he says, when we speak truthfully like that, not condemning other people for their sin, and the church has been really good about that, but when we speak about our own sin, in heaven, they have a raucous party and they cheer and they say, they're starting to get it. He's starting to understand. That's the way it's supposed to be. Friends, it's so easy to be experts in other people's sins. It's really difficult to confess our own. But those are truthful words. Years ago, a man named Donald Miller wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, And he talked about a time when he was in college. He was at a very small liberal arts college in the Pacific Northwest that was very, very progressive. And there was a palpable felt disdain and even hatred of Christianity on that campus. The professors talked about it. It was open. There were bumper stickers everywhere talking about how Christianity was this or this or this. And Donald Miller says on that campus, as far as they knew, there were only four Christians And they were going through college in this very, very hostile environment. And those four Christians would gather and they would talk. And they were talking one night about the fact that the campus was going to have a big all-weekend party that was celebrating hedonism. And every, everything you can imagine, it was going to be outrageous. And they knew this was coming. There would be all kinds of things during this weekend. It was a let loose party. And they were talking about, as Christians, what should be our response? How should we approach this? What should we do anything? And one of the four had this idea. He said, you know what we ought to do? In the middle of the campus, in the quad, let's set up a confessional booth. And the other three said, that may be the dumbest idea we've ever heard. (laughs) Why would they come and confess their sins when they don't believe anything about what we believe. That's, no one's going to come. That's terrible. He says, no, no, no. You misunderstand me. He says, that's not what I'm saying at all. He says, we're not going to actually accept confessions. And we, he says, we all looked at him with confusion. And he continued, we are going to confess to them. We're going to confess that as followers of Jesus, we have not been very loving. We have been bitter. And for that, we are sorry. We will apologize for the crusades. We will apologize for televangelists. We will apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. We will ask them to forgive us. And we will tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus on this campus. We will tell people who come into that booth, come to that booth that day, that Jesus loves them. That's speaking the truth. I should be really good about my own sin and speak it. And I should also tell people that Jesus loves them. 
One way to honor, the best way to honor this commandment is to be really good at those things, those two things. And to be really shy about pointing out or piling on other people's mistakes. You know, Jesus Christ always spoke the truth. And he's our model. He was truth embodied. You remember as we journey now into Lent, we're going to be focusing on the cross. And we remember that Jesus was in front of Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you a king? When Pilate asked him that question, we get to see the ultimate display of honoring the ninth commandment. Are you a king? If Jesus tells the truth in that situation, he will be killed. You can't claim to be a king in front of a Roman imperial governor. If he lies or gives um, a factually inaccurate statement like, well, I'm spiritually a king in some of my followers' hearts or something like that, he's breaking the commandment. What does he do? Then Pilate said, so are you a king or not? And Jesus answered, because I am a king, I was born and entered the world so that I could witness to the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. And Pilate, this political animal, gave that